0: Welcome to No Picks After Dark, Baltimore Sun's best podcast of 2020, voted by you, the listeners. No Picks After Dark seeks to build a community based on human experience, storytelling, and conversation. Now, your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, this gentleman, I mean, he's been doing big things in the Baltimore area. I mean, he's one of the hardest people to catch up with. But when you do, you know, he has a wealth of knowledge and stories and so much knowledge about food. And you know, <clears throat> this place, his restaurant, I would say probably one of the best spots around. Um. I can't, I can't, I have so many things I can still talk about, but without further ado, Mr. Damon, how are you doing today?
1: Man, I'm feeling good. Thanks for having me on, Aaron.
0: <clears throat> and I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. I mean, this guy right here, the best, one of the best spots in Baltimore, Black Sauce Kitchen. Yes, sir. Black Sauce Kitchen, folks. Let me tell you how I found out about this place. A couple of my white co-workers were saying, you got to get these biscuits. They're the best biscuits we ever had. And I said, I don't know about your palate, but uh, (laughs) about biscuits, I don't know about that. I said, you know, I'm I'm from a Southern family. You know, we put lard in our butter, you know, lard and everything at biscuits. And they're like, this guy's business, this company's biscuits is off the hook. And I remember the first time I went there, I was at uh, under the farmer's market under 83. And I got there about 830, lying wrapped around the corner for some biscuits. I said, I'll be damned. So the following week, I figured to come a little earlier, and I got it. So that's that's how I found about Black Sauce Kitchen. So I appreciate you, man, coming on, and I just want to tell your story
1: because it's a beautiful story, I think. For sure, man. You are, and you, you know, you've been coming out there for a minute, too, so I, I appreciate getting a chance to chop it up with you.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, you've done a, a couple of my uh, parties for me, catered, and the food has been amazing. People go crazy for it, and I, I love trying to support any business, especially a black owned business. So I always try to do that. I always try to. So can you tell listeners a little bit about you? And did you, are you from Baltimore originally?
1: I'm not from Baltimore. Uh, I grew up in Virginia. <clears throat> both both my parents are from Mississippi, but I grew up in Northern Virginia. And uh, you know, I used to travel to Mississippi during the summertime uh, and Louisiana. I got a lot of family in both places. And so I think those things, those places, I should say, informed my thoughts about food and kind of my, uh, you know, my palate and my predilections, all of that from a pretty early age. Um, I came to Baltimore in 2008. Um, I had a couple of babies, I had a two-year-old and I had a a newborn, like four or five weeks old. I came to Baltimore to be honest with you, not necessarily intending to open a food business. I had been I had been doing food for a living for a while, but at the time, uh, I was actually trying to finish a Ph.D. Um, where I was studying food and race and like during the Harlem Renaissance and the and also the Great Migration, you know. And then I you know I kind of lost track. And got sucked back into to making food. Uh but I, I really have always loved working with my hands. So I don't think I don't think I had to get pulled on too hard.
0: Well, I did not know that. So you, you dropped in gems already. You dropped. So you're working <laughs> on the PhD, huh?
1: I was. I mean, you know, it's unfinished, but but I was definitely working on one.
0: All right. Okay. Okay. So you got the Baltimore and you, the food at the food industry calls calling you back how did black sauce even come about like how did this all just come together
1: uh so so when i first moved to baltimore i, I live in east baltimore um north of patterson park and i just i felt like there weren't a lot of dope food options um and i'm talking about like groceries shopping for food Uh, within walking distance. So I had this idea that maybe I should kind of get people's opinions and see if we could start a food co-op. And in the course of that, I visited a couple of farmers markets and tried to talk to people that, producers, farmers, that, you know, we might need to source some of the food from them for the food co-op. And in the course of doing that, Somehow, you know, a conversation just kind of went funny and I ended up being a vendor at the Highlandtown food market. Uh, And when I did that, the biscuits kind of took off. You know, I just, biscuits have been something uh, I've made for a long time in a whole bunch of different situations. Um, And I was just thinking like, yo, if I was a vendor, what would I make in Highlandtown? which is by no means um, a place where everybody's got a high income. There's plenty of people that don't even speak English as a first language. What could I make that would be a leveler that that anybody could enjoy? And I was like, yo, I'm gonna make some biscuit sandwiches, but I'm gonna make the dopest biscuit sandwiches I can make. And I remember the the very first week I made a sandwich that had roasted lamb on it. And, you know, people were like, yo, I've never, (laughs) lamb on a biscuit? I never even heard of that. And, uh, but they were on it kind of, you know, the first week I had a great, a really great response, but then it was like the second and the third week, uh, I couldn't even make enough food to keep up. And it seemed like people Mm -hmm. were walking, you know, really quickly people started walking seven, eight, 10, 12 blocks to come over there and get a bit of you know what I'm saying? And then that's, that's how it took off.
0: Wow! I didn't. I did not even know that. Wow! That's uh, that's that's dope. That's really cool. That that how that started. So the biscuits kicked off. People are loving the biscuits, man. They love the sandwiches, and you're like, all right. Wh- so where did the name come from then? So where did the name Black Sauce come from?
1: Uh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, not always an easy one for me to answer, but uh, man, I'll be honest with you since the day i was probably 5 or 6 years old i i you know i've never i've never lived a day and not thought about my blackness it's just something i always think about i don't i've always had that i don't want to necessarily even call it a burden but i've never had the luxury of not thinking about about race since uh since i've been an adult i've had the privilege to travel a good bit in the African diaspora. Um, so, you know, Jamaica, uh, Panama, parts of Mexico, uh, a bunch of places. And then at a certain point, I actually, while I was in culinary school, I left and traveled to West Africa to, uh, to Senegal. And when I was in Senegal, I was cooking, cooking in a hotel. So, the the name Black Sauce is really a way is really a way for me to pay tribute to all of my different influences, um, but also not to try not to orient myself to one specific regional style of cuisine because I feel like as soon as you do that, I'm like oh we make authentic uh, you know Jamaican food or we make New Orleans cuisine, as soon as you do that at that point. It's like you're always fighting this battle of authenticity and I I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to do that. So Black Sauce is a tribute to that, to all those things that I know and love and all those things that have influenced me and all the things I still crave to learn about, but it's a little bit more abstract. You feel what I'm saying? Nice. I
0: like that. I like that. I like that. So when you were growing up, you would go down to Mississippi to visit family, you, you said, and yep. <clears throat> who was the cook in the family that that you like watched? You were like, I'm gonna cook like how they cook, or like you had a passion, or you saw a family member like. For me, it was like my uncles. My mm-hmm. uncles could make anything from scratch. They could, you could have uh, three pieces of chicken, some bread, and some rice, and can make a massive meal. Right. Like, who did you go on that? Because like my family's from Alabama, so I I get the southern cooking. I get it. Who right. was an influence for you?
1: Um. So honestly, my my maternal grandmother. Um we we call her Cutting Bessie. Um, but you know, or that's what my mom, that's what my mom called her own mom, was Cutting Bessie. I called her uh Big Mama, of course. She she ran a farm. And when so when I went down there to to visit, when I went down there to stay for a few weeks sometimes even a month, I was staying on a farm. And my mom is the second oldest of 10 kids. So I got mad first cousins, <laughs> mad second cousins. It was always, it was always kids over there, but generally at like five, five thirty in the morning, um, it's not too many kids running around at that time. I was the one dude who would be up and you know going to the going to the pig pen to feed the pigs with my grandmother uh, or going to pick some cucumbers and finding out like yo my, my little hands aren't ready for this i need you got some gloves or something <laughs> um so she was she was definitely my influence and one of the thing but it, it's, it's crazy Aaron like all of the food down there it always seemed richer to me you know like if we had sausage uh, I was like, man, this is different. Or like we had bacon. The bacon was thick and had all kinds of fat on the side of it. It was just, it was always different than what I was used to. And so I didn't even enjoy every single thing at that point. It was just, it was just a point of difference, something that I noticed and something that started to help me realize like food's not the same from place to place. Um, she was my biggest influence early. And the thing is, also with that many people around, when she was when she cooked something like, you're not just using a little sauté pan and uh, you know a couple of spoons. She was cooking in bulk, so I was seeing, I was seeing fairly large scale production, at least compared to my small household in Virginia. I like
0: that story. I really do. Um, like I said, we I, I I can relate to that. My dad has ten um, siblings also. Mm. And um, I, like you said, I have a lot of first cousins, second cousins, and uh, I remember as a young child, we would all meet up on Sunday, and they would all cook a spread for the whole families, all the families. You know, somebody would make ice cream. Oh, for know? real? So yeah, some they would make homemade ice cream, and they would turn it with the with the with that uh, wooden handle. Yeah. Yeah, man. And um, you know, we used to have the fried okra, the fried <laughs> corn. The fried tomatoes, you know, before before it became popular like it is now, um, you know, right. we, you know th- that that's the funny part. You know, I see all these trends that I grew up eating every like every Sunday, and now it's the thing to do. You know, I mean, we were eating shrimp and grits and things of that nature way back in the early '90s, right? And uh, right. and you know, catfish and grits. I mean, that was that was normal. That was normal. Uh, you know, to this day we have catfish farms in Alabama right now. Actually, my family does. So yeah. it's it's uh, it's actually cool, like to hear what you're saying about the food and how different regions have different types of food. And it's it's definitely like I feel like you said, richer. I like it's a great word that you said, rich a lot richer. I like that.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, that's when I started to realize. Yeah, you know, every cake is not every pound cake is not a pound cake for real. Right. It's like you you eat some cake that for real has some butter in it. And then it's got this crazy crust before you even get to the inner like yellow or white cake. It's got this crazy brown crust on the outside and you're like, damn this is this is different you know And there's a <laughs> bunch of textures even within this one within this one cake.
0: So we let's switch the tops a little bit and we're we're gonna go into your being an entrepreneur. Where did that entrepreneur spirit come from like where where did you say I'm going to step out the limb and make it happen and be my own boss? Where did that come from? Was there any guidance or was there anybody that you, that you, that mentored you or you just was like learning on the job?
1: That, so uh, the funny thing is I could, I could go back to I I could go back to my, that same grandmother and uh, while she was making large meals for the family she would also fool around and make four or five cakes, or six or eight cakes, and then take them into town, she was selling them to a restaurant in town. So that was just a side hustle for her. And it was something that she enjoyed. And it was something that, you know, started to get put on her reputation. But I wasn't thinking about it from from a business aspect at that point, I was really only just just kind of barely noticing it. But you know that's the kind of thing that that sows a seed in your subconscious. And then uh, my father's mom, so my other grandmother, actually owned a a preschool in a different part of Mississippi, which is kind of you know in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Um, you know that's a that's a that's a power move to own a school. And so that was something that I never actually went to the school myself, but it was something that I heard of and it had an impact on how I thought of her. And probably much later had an impact on how I thought of myself. So those were, I would say, my first two sort of distant entrepreneurial influences, but then much more directly um, were my parents. And my so my parents, when I was about... Eight years old my parents bought a franchise of a retail clothing store in Springfield Virginia and started to operate that store so they still had full-time jobs but in their free time you know aside from running me around to whatever camps and activities I had they also bought this retail store and then and when I tell you they were hustling, um, I know from from the perspective of somebody who who over 10 years has only just run a business and that's been basically my only individual source of income, um, I can't even imagine having a full-time job and then operating a business on the side of that. Um, but, you know, I would... I was riding up to New York with them to trade shows at Jacob Javits Center and wherever else, and looking at the newest Levi's and Bugle Boys and and uh, and all and, and all these clothes that they were selling, and then and jean jackets and everything else. And then from there, I, I kind of I got I had my first job there, and so I had a look at what does it mean to hire somebody? How does it? What does it mean to try to? transfer your goals and your ethos to these people who you also employ. Um, I've seen situations where like people as close as family, maybe steal something from out of my parents' store. And then they got to deal with that. You know, you have to to deal with the repercussions of that. So I think I was learning. So, you know, I've seen, I, I remember, I'll never forget Aaron, one time it snowed at school School let out early, at like 1 p.m., my pops picked me up from school. You know, he left his 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 day job. He had been at his day job since 6 a.m. He left early to pick me up from school. We went to the store. When we went in the store, the manager was watching TV in the store. Like, the store was open. She had a stool. She was sitting behind the desk, and she was watching, like, daytime television. So my pops, he, you know, he was kind of raw. I think he had told her about it before and, um, but you know, he didn't play a lot of games, so he fired her on the spot. And I was like, damn, this cat is hard. told her to pack up her stuff. You know what I'm saying? But then you know what happened, right? Now me and him are working for the next eight hours until the store is closed at 9 PM. Um, so all of those are things I saw early and some of them are are things I didn't even realize or remember. Um, until after I was already running a business that you know damn that's why I never had second thoughts about this or this is why I pushed through during this time or this is why this kind of a transaction feels kind of natural to me because I've been seeing it for a long time
0: that's a powerful story man that 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 is powerful that whole story is powerful I mean uh, I mean you learn firsthand how to run a business from family and that that's that's powerful I mean like I said, my family, again, it's so familiar. I feel like our lives are parallel. It's weird because when you're telling the story, I remember my family, owning we owned at one time in Baltimore City, two grocery stores and a liquor store. And oh, Peru? Really? Yeah, man. Yeah, we had, we had, we had a spot on um, Broadway and uh, we had another spot on Park Heights, man. Mm. And I mean, it was there for 40 years, man, 40 years. Wow. Uh, And every day I I kick myself because when I first came out of college, I had an opportunity to take it over, but I didn't realize at that time, you know, that that was a great opportunity to do, but I didn't Mm -hmm. take it. But now I see why and I understand why. And I like, I understand the work habit. I understand how you got to do what you got to do. You guys are working at the store after you. After you get you got a snow day. You about to go home and enjoy yourself,
1: right? Right.
0: <laughs> and and you bought the. And now you find yourself working eighty hour shift. That's what's right. up though. I mean, I love hearing that. That's. I, I don't think people are built like that anymore. So unfortunately, um, that's just my little opinions. It's, it's different, different, different age. But I, I like the story because that shows that you know your bad was about the business, and I like that. That, that. that his name was on that business.
1: Yeah, it was. It was.
0: So, okay, so the farmer's market, you know, you said you started Highlandtown, and it was successful there. How was it hard to get into as a black entrepreneur to get into the other markets in the city? When you were in Highlandtown?
1: Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, so a couple of things. I think number one, because it's Baltimore city and you know, it's 60, 65% black. I think that the, I think that the the obstacles for a black business are different than they might be in a place where the population is eight, 10, 12% black, right? And what I mean by that is just, I don't think, Uh, I don't think I was that unfamiliar to people. Um, And then the second thing is that we're talking about a farmer's market. So we're not talking about me having um, prime real estate on Tame Street and Fells Point or, I don't know, 36th Street and Hamden on Roland Avenue or something. It's just a farmer's market. And it's temporary. And it's kind of like if you if you want to hustle that hard. um, Yeah, you can you can get in. And then the third thing is that I often try to let the food speak um, and not necessarily hit somebody with a business plan um, or try to try to get in by way of meetings. But like I might show up at a... I, Waverly was the one market that was tough to get into. And so it's like you had, to, you had to show up at a board meeting, you had to put in an application. Um, and then <laughs> Waverly is crazy. They're expecting you to kind of come and speak on your behalf and on on behalf of your application but they might not tell you until the day before the meeting that there's actually a meeting you know what i'm saying um i had i had a homeboy who was already in that market you know we met through this through this food this food business he actually had a stand right next to me at the highland town farmers market um, and then for years we shared a kitchen in Curtis Bay in in the hood in Curtis Bay um, but my man was like, yo, this meeting is coming up. I think it's going to be hard for you to get in this market. Waverly does not let a lot of new businesses in and, and and it's kind of bureaucratic. Um, a bunch of people have to sign off on it for a new business to get in. And then he was like, I think you should show up at the meeting and bring food. I was like, damn, you know, that's a good idea. So I, I made miniature short rib biscuit sandwiches and showed up with that and just passed the tray out you know what I'm saying and sat sat in the back and then it it changes things it changes people were kind of open to the idea already it's like damn this is this is all right this food's good we could be eating it on a regular basis and my man had the foresight to bring this to the meeting now again if I'm being honest with you somebody somebody gave that suggestion to me but it was it, it really worked out um now i have noticed in terms of in terms of meeting obstacles or feeling like you discriminated against well, however you want to call it i've noticed it in the beginning on a number of occasions if we go to some festival or we get into a new market um we don't always have the best location uh i may have worked markets where there's a main market and then we're somewhere off in a parking lot in between a van and a, you know, somebody's pickup truck. And I, as a, it's a, it's a point of pride for me. Uh, I just didn't, you know, I didn't come up complaining about stuff. I I came up under those rules that just like life is not fair, you know, and as a black dude, you're going to have to work twice as hard to be just as good. You know, I'm sure you heard that your whole life. Um, so those, that was good preparation for me um, to encounter some things and just keep it pushing and to not let it impact the way I wanted to make decisions. <laughs> but you know what the flip side is, Aaron, is that I also, I also always wonder if hearing that over and over that life is not fair, makes us as black men uh, less likely to advocate for ourselves and more likely to take some bullshit because you've already expected that it. it's not going to be fair, you know. So I think that lesson goes both ways.
0: I agree with you on that. I, I, I definitely, when I think about it now, I, you, that's the first thing you learn as a black male, right? You got you got to work twice as hard as your other counterpart. You got to do things ten times better than your counterpart, just to yep. be recognized. And now it's interesting when you're telling the story. I remember. I'm gonna tell you now. You're gonna. This is gonna be blow your mind because you were walking me through the timeline. You were at the fells. Not fells. You were at a Federal Hill festival. I yeah. want to say, man. I, I want to say, t- early two thousands. Like maybe like ten or two thousand eight or not. I don't know. Remember. I don't remember.
1: It, I mean, two thousand ten is very likely what it could have been.
0: And I remember you had. I remember I bought. Food from your from your event from your place. And I didn't know who you were at that point. I didn't know who you were. And you were in between the stages where they were playing bands, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember your food because I was like, Oh, this is a black vendor. I'm gonna go check them out. And I remember from that point, but now I never associated the two with their biscuit now. I mm-hmm. never did now. When when you're walking me through the history timeline, it's it's crazy now. Okay.
1: Wow. And and honestly, we might not we might not have had biscuits at that festival, um, we might've been doing something totally different from jerk chicken or, you know what I mean? Because um, that's been, I've never, there's a there's a whole, so many ways you can go about food business, any business, but one thing I have never really wanted to do is have our food be everywhere all the time. Because um, I feel like if you can get it all the time, there's somehow it becomes less special. And then I think the type of food we're making, I'm not even expecting people to eat it every day. Um, so there's been a ton of times where we show up somewhere and we don't do biscuits, we do something else.
0: Yeah, let's expand on that. I like that, I like what you're saying, right? Let's expand on what you're saying. So that is one of the uniquenesses about your spot. It, it is, um, when you hit the brick and mortar spot, When you, was, it with every, was it every Wednesday or Thursday?
1: Uh, I was every Thursday.
0: Every Thursday. Okay. I mean, I was every damn Thursday. I might remember. Right. right. I would I would leave work. And that was my first stop after work. Um, (laughs) um, just because I I loved everything you guys, I loved everything you guys are doing and just it made me proud because you walked in and you heard like dead president rocking in the background. You're like, yes, this is like real hip hop. This is this is for the culture in here i I loved it you know and it was a sense of pride being in there and um you never had the same thing ever it was never the same thing on the menu right that's the uniqueness of you guys so where did that concept come from like i mean i I, i'm that's i like that where did that concept where did you start thinking about like let me me be unique every different time so different times so people could really like the experience and enjoy experience of your food
1: Um, well, I, I think it came out of my desire to always be challenged and to always challenge ourselves. And it came out of, uh, (laughs) my, my fear of being bored. Like I would hate to be doing something and love it for a while, but then it just feels like we're doing the same thing all the time. Um, so that's why I did it early on, but people responded fairly well to it, and uh, and it became, it, it started to become a part of who we were. Like, we just started to believe in that and think of it as a part of being Black Sauce. So, you know, after a while, it started to feel like second nature. And I can't imagine, you know, there's been, it's clear, right, that when we, put fried chicken on the menu. Um, we're probably gonna sell twice as many sandwiches as we do the week before we do fried chicken and the week after. So I've had people say like, yo, you should do, why don't you just do fried chicken every week? It's like, would would y'all love it the same way? And what I love, what I do the same way if we did it every week? Um, you know, we'd be like, we'd be like everybody else. So I think there's a place for that. But I also just think there's a place for what we do, and we've tried to that uh, that that's felt right for who we are. You know what I'm saying?
0: I like that. I like that a lot. So let's talk about Remington. Why did you decide to have a brick and mortar in Remington? I'm just curious. Out of all the places in Baltimore, and like you brought up earlier about the Thames Street and the Hamden area, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what what made Remington? Um, you know, just highlight for you because I mean, I'm biased. I would love you been been on Harford Road corridor. I mean, I'm biased. Right. I live, that's where I live, so I'm very biased about that. Um, but why, why, why the area?
1: Um, I mean, some of that was just for real, just circumstance, just uh, you know, serendipity. We we were at a point where we were we were very comfortable in Curtis Bay. Curtis Bay was not a place where we wanted to have uh, a retail shop open to the public. But in terms of servicing our needs, in terms of having a, a commercial kitchen, Curtis Bay worked very well for us. But we were at a point where somebody bought the building and they were not gonna renew our lease. So we had to find a new kitchen. Um, I looked at a place in Brooklyn. I looked at a place in Highlandtown. I really liked Highlandtown and that's kind of where we got started, but it's both Highlandtown and Brooklyn are kind of extremes of the city. Um, So you lose out on a a ton of potential customers. Um, And when somebody showed me a place in Remington, the place, the the specific building I saw was like a little bit ratty um, and I wasn't sure it was going to work out as a spot but i really like the idea of being central in the city it's like if you if you look at a map of baltimore city um, it's about as central as you as as it comes and then on top of that it's right on 83 and then it's right on you know 29th and 28th which both are one way uh, east west routes across a, a pretty major part of the city so i like the fact that we were all of a sudden instead of having to leave the kitchen, uh, you know, an hour before Waverly market started, you know, we'd be four minutes from Waverly. And then when you hop on 83, we are four minutes from JFX market or Sunday market. Um, when we do caterings and a catering falls up in, uh, Baltimore County somewhere or the, the North part of the city, um, it was murder to have to go all the way back down to Curtis Bay unload, clean up, and then come back into the city, you know what I'm saying, to go to the crib. So, so those, just plain proximity and accessibility, were, that was what first attracted me to Remington. Um, but then, as we were in Remington, um, I, I started to get a sense of community that I hadn't had in Curtis Bay. In Curtis Bay, the sense of community That we had was just with residents, you know what I'm saying. Um, People could see that we worked really hard, and I felt like they appreciated that. They looked out for us when they could. Um, Yo, main man, you need to move your car. I see they're, uh, you know, they're cleaning the street, whatever. Um, But people would look out for us. In Remington, it's I noticed that the businesses have banded together quite a bit, Um, and it just it hit, it's, it felt like a place that was kind of on the move. Um on being on the move is dangerous. You don't you don't want to eliminate people who were there, OGs who started a particular neighborhood or who have endured uh whatever that neighborhood has gone through over time, but bringing in some new blood, I think it, I think it it creates a a good atmosphere of change, you know. So Remington has felt good for us for those reasons and I think, you know, like When I go to Remington today, um, very quickly I realized, man, we we've been there for five years.
0: That's crazy because um, I remember never going to Remington. I Mm -hmm. never did. I just drove past it. Uh, There is a little what's that? There's a diner down the street from there that I would frequently once a year. um, Paper Paper Moon, Paper paper Moon, yeah. And I I remember that, but that's as far as I would have went, you know. Or if I was crossing east to west you know, go across, you know, the 83 that way. But, you know, I never went there until you guys start rocking and rolling over there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting to see the dynamics of the people that would be shopped that would come on Thursdays, you know, from all aspects of the city, which was beautiful. Right. You know, I'm sitting in line talking to people who live in who live in Canton, who live out in the county, who live out in Howard County. And I'm like, Baltimore County, Howard County. And I'm like, you in Remington? Like... <laughs> you know and and that was a testament just of the food that you were making and um i always like how you put the menu up that day you know <clears throat> people didn't know until that day or maybe the day before it was always like the menu popped up everybody was waiting for it and i remember i would text all my friends the menu up menu up menu up right <laughs> that's how it was man that's it was crazy man this is pre-kids man it's pre-kids so right. uh, i just remember like i was like menu up we we'll get a dinner. We're gonna, we're gonna get the brisket fried rice. Oh, you get get three orders of that. That macaroni. you get get two orders. You got them beef ribs. Oh, you know, get get a couple of those beef ribs. I don't care how much it costs. Just put put on the credit card. And that, that's my that
1: favorite. Was, that's <laughs> my favorite time. Like when I look back and I I think about restaurants. I I remember a time before the internet ever existed, and you went to a new spot, and it's like you sit down. And somebody rolls up on the table and they're like, yo, can I get you something to drink? And it's like, yes, but I haven't looked at the menu yet. So I don't even, know, I, I can't choose my drink until I see what y'all got to eat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's thats the moment, that was always my favorite moment of going to a restaurant, is seeing what's on the menu and how they do what. But you don't get to see that, at least historically, you didn't get to see that until you sat down at the table. And uh, there was, that was for me, more than anything, the reason why I didn't want to have, I didn't want to do the same food all the time. And I didn't want to have the menu available a long time before people were coming into the shop. Um, I've had to make some compromises. I can't, you know, I can't keep living in the 1980s, you know what I mean? 1990s. Um, But that was, that was why, that was why I really wanted that feel of you walk into the shop, you look at the menu, which we, you know, we had that little pegboard menu where you had to put each piece on, um, and it takes it, it took somebody some time to do that. I wanted people to come in there and look at that menu instead of coming in there and knowing exactly what they want already. Right,
0: right, and that's what that was the beauty of it. You would, I literally, I think, you guys opened at like three or four o'clock. I can't remember what time it was, but it was literally that that menu went up probably at like one o'clock,
1: right, <laughs> like, right, or
0: whatever. Or I don't I don't know what day or what time. You might have been open earlier for lunch
1: it but, was earlier but you're right it's like the menu went up maybe maybe an hour before we opened You know, maybe
0: maybe and i remember i would get out of work and they'd be like man we out aaron we out the brisket fried rice my like, god dang right. it's a, <laughs> you know I mean, but it was a testament because you guys had a great operation and it was a beautiful thing and you know i wasn't upset but like you know what they winning. you winning right now if you out of food you're winning you know it's kind of like what you have, mm-hmm. and we'll get into it further <clears throat> what you guys have going right now i'm so busy doing other things by the time I see your menu on when for now it's already sold out half the stuff I want I'm like
1: right I'll right. catch him
0: next week I'll catch him next week you know and it's funny because I mean I have a lot of people who live in northeast who love I me mean, everybody loves you guys all over but people I know they love it they, they post on our like harford road black sauce god this is me everybody everybody you know and so it's interesting now I'm gonna throw you a little curveball right now Right, I then. didn't, I did not know this, and this blows and blows my mind. And you might have told me this, but then I became pretty good friends with Thomas from Zeke's. You mm-hmm. used to, you, you and Zeke's used to work together back in the day with the biscuits, correct? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. I did I mean, not know that
1: Zeke's. Uh, so that's it's funny you say that when I think about you asked me like who influenced me in terms of uh wanting to be have a business, want to be an intra- entrepreneur. Um, I, I guess my list of influencers would be really long, but in terms of people locally, when I came here, you know, Thomas is really high on that list on the low. And he and I don't talk that much these days, you know, things you you get busy, um, families, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, how Baltimore can be funny, especially, especially I feel like if you live up on that Hartford road corridor, it's like, you got your own corridor up there. Um, <laughs> but yo, know, I, I saw what Thomas was doing very very early on. Um, Thomas influenced me in the way that in the beginning, like a long time ago, I felt like he had eight core people. It was like eight, you know, they started to, to get bigger and hire many more people, but they had eight people, at least from my perspective, they were all full-time. Um, I don't know if they were making salary or if they were getting paid hourly, but that shaped that, just my perception of it shaped how I went into Black Sauce. And so from the beginning, all the employees were basically salaried employees. And I wanted people to feel like they were, they had an investment in this. I wanted people to feel like, yo, if we don't get two caterings this week and it rains at the farmer's market and we're slow. That's not gonna impact how much you get paid. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to do things like take a, a company. It's funny, funny to even call it a company because it feels more like a family, but but take a squad trip every year, which we did um, probably every year from 2010 through 17 or 18, whenever we had the fire, that definitely threw us off track. Um, but a lot of those are ideas that I took from Thomas. The, I, the idea also of doing the farmer's market and just kind of exploding there where your costs are really low and not and not necessarily making the jump to some fancy uh, brick and mortar where all of a sudden your costs are really high. Th- those are all things I took from from Thomas, for sure. He's like he, he's an OG at a farmer's market thing. Oh,
0: I mean, uh, he was on my uh, podcast earlier this year. I interviewed him and his wife and they, that's one of the big thing they talked about was farmers markets will meet it. That's what made them. People, yep. people loved the farmer's market. They loved going to their coffee. and that's, He said they were so, they were so busy that they, people would come up. They had people drive to their house. They'd be slinging coffee over the fence. Damn. That's how crazy the coffee scene became in the Baltimore area. And I can attest, at the farmer's market, when you guys were at, at 83, you and you and Zeke's were the longest lines in the whole entire market. Mm. every time i came i made sure that i went to your stand first and get my biscuit and i know i could get zeke's over on my, my in the corridor i wasn't worried about getting over here okay and you guys are always the two busiest places at the market every week mm. it didn't matter it didn't matter if rain sleet snow whatever you guys it was always anticipation and that's why i just love this about your business and your business model and just it just it's so much pride that you know a lot of people have for you guys and happy for you guys because it's an amazing concept that you guys have going on and you know specialized food, different menus every week it, that's that's what it's all about you like people like you said if I get used to eating certain one thing at your place, I'm not gonna come every week because' like I can get that, yeah, but you always do a spin on things, and I really really like that, so I guess that kind of mean you answered like a lot of the style I was gonna ask you which is funny um you know so. What trials and tribulations did did, would you say that you ran into? Like where you could tell up and coming next black soft that might be out there, they're coming up. What would you tell them? Like things that going forward, like that you learned that maybe might help them out going forward.
1: Hmm. Um so one, one thing I had to learn and it took me some time is that uh, I had to learn how to say no. Um, <clears throat> if what you do becomes desirable uh, for, for any number of reasons and all of a sudden, a lot of people want it, you know, then the idea of making as much of it as you can becomes alluring and you have to decide if that's what you want to do, Cause you're going to have to scale up and scaling up is not always easy. And then you also have to decide if, if, uh, whether or not that's in conflict with who you are as an individual and as, and as a business. So for me, uh, I eventually learned, you know, we can't do everything. And the more that we try to do, sometimes the worse the final product ends up being. And, uh, and then that goes on your reputation. So I I probably, I probably don't believe what I'm about to say quite as literally as I used to, but there was a time, the first five, six years of the business, where I felt like we were only as good as the last sandwich that we put out into the world. Because if, if you come for the first time and you have a whack sandwich, not just whack, because you don't like some of the components, but whack because we made a bad sandwich, you know what I'm saying um, then we we lose a bunch of customers off of that and we and we live in your mind as the people who gave you this food you didn't like so um i had to I had to figure out how to do everything that we do to the best that we could do it, but then that also means you can't do everything, some stuff you just you gotta. You gotta pass on it, you know. Um, man, I've wound up on like the Fourth of July in ninety-nine degree heat, serving food for for people who never even really showed up. So now you're sitting on a whole bunch of leftover food instead of being at home somewhere with my family. You know, it's just like figuring out how to make the right the right decisions. Um, figuring out when to say no.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. Now, have you? What have you learned business wise as far as like, you know, I guess you said you can't make everybody happy, but, you know, have you learned what have you learned with like being a stepping back out the shadows, step, stepping back from cooking and managing the staff and, my, and managing financials? What things have you learned that you've grown from that? Because I mean, yeah, the cooking is a good part, but the cost and salary and things of that nature. Um, Where did you, how did you, how did you learn that? I mean, I'm sure it's everyday t- learning. But what are some things that you some tips you would give?
1: Well, in terms of uh, financials and paperwork, I've definitely learned that you are. I am best off getting hiring somebody who knows how to do it and does it well, and uh, and paying them to do their job. Now, if you have some type of a background, my father, you know, going back to the retail business, he he had an accounting degree and in a lot of ways did accounting for a living at his day job. So he could handle that paperwork in a way that I cannot. And it, you know, that's one of those things that's taken me some time to learn. Um, In terms of managing a staff, that is something that I don't, I don't always feel like I do well. I try to do it well and I've had people that have stayed with me for a long time. So I would, I would say some people think I do it really well, but that's a constant learning curve. And I do a few things to try to do it the best that I can. One is that I try to always, I try to learn each person. I don't, I don't, I don't treat every person the same. Um, I think that's bogus. I think people come to a job situation with different needs and I try to figure out ways to figure out what each person needs in order to thrive and what each person needs in order to be successful. And then how are they best going to help us? Um, It's not in execution. It's not perfect, but that's, those are the things that I'm thinking about. You see what I'm saying? Um, I also don't demand perfection. I think about, uh, I think about the mistakes that I make, like before I'm about to air somebody out, Off of something that they did, I got to think about like, what's the last mistake that I made? And also, um, this mistake that they just made, can we live with it? You know, is me speaking on it gonna put them, is is it gonna make things better? Uh, Or are they, are we both gonna lose sleep off of it? You know, so I I think about those types of things. I think about how I talk to people and the timing of of when I talk to them.
0: With everything going on right now, just, just in the community and in, in the U.S. and whatnot, and you know, yesterday, a couple days, well, I mean, I don't know when this recording will come out, but they had, um, we had a Blackout Tuesday. We're supporting black businesses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And have a lot of businesses reached out to you to get advice of how you run your business? Um, just just for advice and tips. Has that happened?
1: Yes, but not, but not not necessarily specifically during this last couple of months here, but just uh, over the course of every year, um, you know, somewhere between five and 10 people who are either trying to break into the business or trying to make a change with their business or trying to scale up or something, they definitely reach out. And I'm, I'm all for that. I probably didn't do that enough. As an aspiring business owner, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get into enough people's ear to try to figure out uh, how I should go about it. But I, you know, what I've actually started doing over this last year or year and a half—it's tough to do right now. It's impossible to do right now during coronavirus. But, but before March, I finally figured that if if I was going to spend time um, talking to somebody. It would be very helpful to me if they came in the kitchen and they did work while we were talking, Um, because then I don't lose a step, and they also get to see a little bit more closely what it is that we do. So that was that's that's a cool transition that that I've made.
0: Yeah, that's cool because if we didn't have coronavirus, this episode would definitely be. I would have loved to interview you in the kitchen. That would have been really cool to see everything and see you behind the scenes and whatnot, and took photos and whatnot. But unfortunately, we're in this type of situation. So how has your team responded to coronavirus? Like I know, explain what you guys are doing now. Um, I didn't really talk about it too much, but um, how you guys are have left the markets a little bit and now you're doing something else now. Explain that a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, so before coronavirus, we were about 60% farmers markets in terms of revenue about 60% farmers markets and about 40% catering. Um, In fact, we were catering a fairly large event on Saturday, March 14th, right? As things were on the precipice of shutting down. So then on that Monday, the 16th, I basically called a meeting and said, we weren't gonna go to any farmers markets um, for the time being and Instead of doing the farmer's markets, we switched to a curbside pickup out of parts and labor on Howard Street. So that's a that's a that's a pretty significant change for us because and and a pretty significant change for the customers. Because now, instead of you waking up at eight o'clock on a Saturday and being like, damn, you know what, I feel like a biscuit today and getting to the market around nine or 9.15, maybe having to stand in a, in a line, but, but still getting some biscuit sandwiches. Now it's like, you got to order in advance, um, pay for it in advance. Now, <laughs> which, which means that you got to do some, you have to make some kind of preemptive move in order to get it, you know, three, two, three days in advance of actually getting that sandwich. And then that, that takes a lot of thought. That's the change I feel like for the customer the change for us as a business is we can't just run out of a brisket sandwich now, because if you already paid for it, we got to have that when you show up, you know what I'm saying? Um, so figuring out the logistics of that, um, figuring out the, the purchasing model um, is not, it's not as easy as it might, as it might appear, because now if we begin prepping food on Wednesday and Thursday, but the menu ordering period is open up through Friday morning. You know there's a gap, and it's very rare that we have exactly the amount of food that people are ordering. Much more often now we have more food than we need, um, which is tough. And then the other thing that we have added, in addition to doing those those biscuits and biscuit sandwiches as a curbside pickup, we also are uh, doing vacuum sealed food. That is primed to be able to take it home and reheat it very easily, and so that's been an interesting an interesting move. Um, parts and labor, when they left, I'm probably telling too much, but you know when they left, they left some equipment in the building, and so we really just because we're in parts and labor, we have access to this. Uh, <laughs> this super high end vacuum sealer. Um, you know, I've owned a number of vacuum sealers over the course of the last 10 years. Typically, um, a pretty expensive vacuum sealer, you can seal two bags at a time, it takes about 30 seconds, and then you can seal the next two bags. But with this vacuum sealer, you can seal like eight bags in 45 seconds. You see what I'm saying? So it makes a it makes a huge difference, and then those reheatables, I was really just doing those as a way to uh, to kind of offer people some new product that I felt fit this COVID nineteen time. But but a lot of people make it sound like it's a it's a it's been a huge and welcome change, and they hope that we continue to do it even after COVID. You know?
0: Wow, wow. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's good feedback. That's really good feedback. It is now. I'm gonna ask: When, when, when are we going to see the brick and mortar again? I, I know you and I always talk about it. We joke about it, and I'm just curious: Is there a timetable, possibly, or is that to be determined still?
1: Uh, it's still to be determined, but we're we're much closer than we have been at, at any previous time that I spoke to you. Um, you know, we're at the stage right now where we are ordering equipment to kind of fill out the building. So. Um, you know, I would like to think that in September, let's say, um, we're we're back open. And I don't I don't know yet. I don't know yet what the hours are going to be. I don't know if it's going to just be Black Sauce Thursdays again, um, <laughs> because now we already have kind of left the farmers markets. And so, just I don't know what it's going to look like. But I'm hoping to be back in there soon. Um, I really miss being in our own space. And that year and a half or whatever that we we were open was probably, man, it was probably the best year and a half work-wise uh, I've had with Black Sauce. It was just like going to work every day, and having that that particular routine. I felt like I was doing just about exactly what I wanted to do.
0: And folks, what I forgot to tell everybody is when you um, call, when you when you go to Black Sauce, you can't call. You can't call. In, you can't. You can't call your order in. You know, you you got, you got to show up. You got to be there. And I, and I get it. At first I didn't get it, but I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I want you, I want to see you in the present. I want to see you here buying it. And I want you calling the order and then I make this product and you, I'm, I like it. I like it, man. I really do. All right. So here we go. Rapid fire, rapid fire. The best crab cake in Baltimore.
1: Hmm. Um, I don't eat a lot of crab cakes. But I'm gonna say Tame Street Oyster House. Okay.
0: Best Burger.
1: Mmm. Uh, Hamilton Tavern.
0: Best brunch. You can you can add yourself in here because I mean you are kind of brunch, but.
1: Best brunch. Yeah, I am going to say black sauce.
0: Yeah, I I would say so. Uh, Drums or flats?
1: Oh, flats all day. Blue cheese or ranch? Blue cheese.
0: Favorite place to go on vacation? Panama. What inspires you
1: every day? Uh my father, and my wife.
0: What is, if I could, if, I, if, if me and you, if I brought three of my friends and we came to a uh, parson labor, whatever it may be, we sit at the bar, I mean, just 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 hypothetically, like a bar or a table or sitting there, what would be the signature dish from black sauce that you would cook up for us?
1: Probably... Short rib and grits.
0: All right, that 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 was that was rapid fire. That was that wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad. I wonder. Yeah, I
1: started. I, I was sweating a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: I did want to re- shout out you. You did something really cool, and I'm we just just brought memory. You did a cool brunch collaboration with somebody a while back, right before COVID. Uh, it was like you had a DJ there, or was it nighttime dinner? or Oh
1: damn! Yeah, we did. Our- <laughs> we did night brunch.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and again, I have a kid now, so I can't be making those moves. But yeah, I saw photos from it, and I was like, oh my goodness,
1: that yo day- man. <laughs> we had a really good time that I got if I could go back and change my answer I would say that was that's the best brunch in Baltimore is night brunch okay
0: okay yeah I saw it, it looked, it looked like it was off the hook man that that's a great concept I like that concept actually mm-hmm. I really do all right so let's tell people where we can find you on Instagram Facebook all that social media it's time for you to plug you have been plugging black sauce all the whole time but plug it where plug it plug it plug it, plug it social media go ahead
1: yeah, uh I mean it's it's just really simple at on both Instagram and Facebook. It's just Black Sauce Kitchen. And if you were looking for our website, especially for catering or something of that nature, then it's uh blacksaucekitchen.com. Um but yeah, we we're not hard to find. We might be <laughs> might sometimes be hard to reach.
0: Hey, I will tell you the, the Black Sauce is one of the hardest companies to catch up with. When you catch up <laughs> with them, it's a great, it's, 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 you see this beautiful interview that we have right here. It's a beautiful thing. And I learned so much about you today that, I mean, I didn't realize we had so much in common and, you know, I always I talk, I didn't realize that. And it's a beautiful thing to talk with you. And, you know, when I reached out, I figured you probably like, no, because for the dark podcast, who is this? And I was like, I, and it was, it was bad. Cause I was like, if you at the farmer's market, I would have been like, Hey, this is me. And right. Much easier, and uh, I'm just happy that you reached back out. And I know you're very busy, and I'm just happy, proud that you came to an honor and pleasure for you to come for, for me to have you on the show. I mean, you're doing big things in Baltimore. We want to continue supporting, uplifting, and, and this season I'm really pushing a lot of. Um, this, is, this is this is black business and for the culture, you know.
1: Yeah, nah, right, man. I, I really appreciate you having yeah. me. Um, this conversation was a lot. Of, both easier and just and more natural than uh, than I necessarily expected it to be, man. So I, I appreciate it, you know?
0: I, I tell people, it's like, just like talking to a friend. I mean, I, I'm not, those other publications asking all these crazy questions. It's just a down-home, real conversation, honest conversation, that's all it is. And you know, I yeah. think this, this is a good peek behind the curtain. Now, what I do will say at the end is, and I know people, I hope people hear this. I would love to see a Black Sauce, Urban Oyster, the Union, and um a fishnet pass a whole like collaboration. I know you always do it with uh Ichabon, but I would mm-hmm. just love to see black businesses team up with you. I mean, I know it's kind of hard right now with everything going on, but that'd be my ultimate dream because if you guys every time you guys do a collaboration, it it's just if you're not there at five o'clock, sorry, if you're not there, if it starts at five, you gotta get there at 430. Right. if you get there at five, we, you wait in two hours. Just FYI folks. That's how that's how good their food is. Okay, so yeah. I would love I would love How to see you, that that whole collab eventually.
1: You know, you're right about that. I think I think it's it's an important type of collaboration, and uh, you know that's that's a good nudge to me um, to start to seek that out. Because to be honest with you, I'm I'm usually quite content working with myself. Uh, I mean, even Steve from Ecuben will tell you, like I'm uh, <laughs> you know I'm not always easy to do collaborations with. Mm-hmm. so that's a that's yeah. a good nudge i appreciate that
0: even even cashew. i had Kaju ice cream on my mm. uh, nicole on my uh podcast last uh, earlier this year and okay uh, Kaju, you know and she's you know getting her thing together with their, they have a brick and mortar on how it should be coming up very soon so that's another that's sure. going on. so but again thank you so much for coming on the podcast again i really appreciate it it was an honor to talk with you just it was a great conversation and just very uplifting. I'm walking away with this like, wow, I'm blown away right now. So again,
1: folks, thank you for listening. Love, peace, and happiness. One.